Welcome to the Adventist History Podcast. This is Season 2, Episode number 23, The Nazis, Part 1. Last time we talked about Judson Washburn and how he turned his bullying tendencies into a holy crusade against other Adventists, particularly William Warren Prescott. Now, Washburn, of course, was a successful pastor, evangelist, and Bible memorizer. But, yeah, I mean, he was also a bully. His last bout with Prescott took place in 1940 after Prescott dared to preach and print a sermon on the Trinity. Heresy of heresies. Now we're going to move from one bully to another. If a Seventh-day Adventist knows anything about her church and World War II, she knows it wasn't Adventism's finest hour. Some Adventist leaders in Nazi Germany openly admired Hitler, as we're going to see. Worse, some Adventists even alerted the Gestapo to the location of Jews. For 100 years, Adventists had warned everyone they came across that a beastly power would rise and compel all to worship under penalty of death. They warned that the Civil War in 1861, 1862, 1863, that it might be the, the end of time and we must stand strong. They warned that the movement towards Sunday laws might be the end and so we must stand strong. Then World War I might be the end and so we must stand strong and suffer what we must. All of those experiences were child's play compared to life under the Nazi regime. And if the Nazi regime wasn't the end of time, then it was a full-scale dress rehearsal, okay? And the people who warned the world to be ready for a terrible time of trouble cozied on up to their beast without missing a beat in order to avoid any trouble. Those Adventists weren't stupid. They saw the Nazis for who they were. Many of them did at least. They were under no illusions. Adventists are trained to identify beasts, even if they look like lambs. When you stop and think about it, the failure of German Adventists to be ready to meet the Nazi apocalypse just shatters your own spiritual self-confidence as an Adventist. How can Seventh-day Adventists ever after be too confident that they are ready for the end times? when they weren't ready for the closest thing I think anybody in, in the 20th century really got to it, okay? No matter how much you talk about the end, no matter how much you pray and study, once you know about the church in Germany in the 1930s, won't there always be a part of you 
that says, are you sure you're ready? Because Adventists weren't ready in Germany twice. And if the dress rehearsal didn't go well, how confident are you about opening night? Well, you, you might be more confident if you thought Adventists had learned from this painful lesson, made some adjustments to their game plan. But most Adventists that I've come across know almost nothing about this monstrous moral and spiritual failure in their history. The world was ready to put the Second World War behind them as quickly as possible, including the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And so the books that flew off of denominational presses after the war praised the individual Adventist heroes who kept the faith in the face of adversity. And if you grew up in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, you would have been excused for believing that Adventists in Germany handled the Nazis bravely and with honor. Because those are the kind of stories we told ourselves. And those stories were true, by the way. It just wasn't the whole story. The story of the Adventist church in Germany is more complicated than it seems which becomes clear, I think, when you look at the church's apology. In 2005, church leaders in Germany and Austria took the 60th anniversary of the end of the war in Europe as an opportunity to apologize. They lamented that, quote, in some of our publications, there were found articles glorifying Adolf Hitler and agreeing with the ideology of anti-Semitism in a way that is unbelievable from today's perspective, end quote. A copy of this apology was sent to Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum in Israel. And if you go to Yad Vashem, which I highly recommend if you're ever in Israel, you will find the name Jean Weidner, a Belgian Adventist who set up a humanitarian network which ended up saving a thousand people from the Nazis, including 800 Jews. 800! And he isn't the only Adventist to be honored at Yad Vashem as considered righteous among the nations. In Hungary, an Adventist pastor saved 15 Jews. In Italy, an Adventist family hid a Jew. In Latvia, two sisters were part of a whole community of Adventists that hid Jews, okay? There are dozens and dozens of stories of Adventists doing heroic things, especially by saving Jewish lives during the reign of Hitler. So Yad Vashem memorialized their names and planted trees in their honor. Righteous among the nations. But Yad Vashem also has this apology from Adventist church leaders for having supported Hitler. Can you imagine working at Yad Vashem and holding that apology in your hand? and reading it, and then seeing those trees celebrating Adventist heroes, wouldn't you be wondering what exactly is going on with these Adventists? What happened in Germany? What kind of church has members who save Jews and also who cozy up to the Nazis? 
And that's what this episode and the next few episodes are all about. Now, this isn't the story of a small group of Adventists in one country, okay? You need to understand that 10% of all Seventh-day Adventists around the world were in Germany. And those believers found themselves both terrified by the Nazis and attracted by the Nazi cause. Politically, German Adventists shared the conviction with many of their countrymen that the post-war Weimar Republic was a miserable failure. Many Germans felt they had been stabbed in the back at the end of the First World War, betrayed by their leaders while the army still stood strong in the field. That the people felt this way is partially because their military leaders had been lying to them for years about how the war was going. The war was in somebody else's country, and Germans were used to reading about their daily victories. And then suddenly it's all over. The armies are retreating, coming home in defeat, and the chancellor is greeting the returning troops with praise, saying things like, no enemy has vanquished you. And that got people talking. I mean, if no one defeated our troops, why are they returning home in defeat? They looked for another cause, and they, and they settled on that one. We have been stabbed in the back. Somebody betrayed us. Our political leaders. Yes, the Jews who control everything from behind the scenes, and they betrayed us. And they also blamed the Allies for imposing what felt like humiliation under the terms of the Treaty of Versailles. German Adventists felt that humiliation and that anger that fueled the rise of the Nazis, like many other people. Adventists were also attracted to Adolf Hitler personally because they, they had a sincere appreciation for the Führerprinzip or the leader principle that was being talked about in post-war Germany. The leader principle simply meant that leaders should have the freedom of absolute control over those areas, over those people that they were responsible for. So if you're a factory owner, you should have absolute control over your employees. Okay, No labor unions. The leader, the boss, he needs to be free to make whatever decisions he thinks is best. If you're a church administrator, the leader principle meant that you should have absolute control over the pastors and members in your territory. If you're the leader of a nation, like Adolf Hitler, well, you get the idea, don't you? It wasn't just that Hitler was claiming absolute power for himself. He was claiming a, a, a principle of power, a principle of leadership, that every leader had absolute power over their sphere of influence. And that sounded pretty good if uh, you were somebody with some authority in the church, in the government, in the army, in business. And after the soulless and wandering mess that was the Weimar Republic, this made a lot of sense to most Germans, not just Adventists. No more rule by committees and councils and congresses. We need leaders with the freedom to lead us out of this mess. One German Adventist was on board. In an article titled, there is a great shortage of true Führers today. He wrote in 1932, shortly before Hitler took power, quote, a people, a church, a city, or a land which has no good Führer is destined for perdition. Moreover, the Adventist church needs good Führers, end quote. It's hard not to see a biblical parallel here. The Weimar Republic was like the time of the judges where everyone did what they thought was right. 
But that gets old, doesn't it? People want order. They want stability. And so the people ask God for a king. They ask God for a king, even though God had warned them that when you give someone that much power over you, they will use it to exploit you and enrich themselves at your expense. Okay, but here's my question for you, dear listener. Would you want to live in the time of the judges? Would you want to live in the Weimar Republic where your country was supposed to pay 100,000 tons of gold to foreign governments as reparations while you struggle to feed your own children? Where your husband is unemployed and radical groups of communists and anarchists roam the streets while the government can and does virtually nothing about it? Oh, in hindsight, it's easy to see how this desire for strong leadership, this desire for a political messiah blew up in Germany's face. We see that now, but it's, it's also easy to see why so many Germans wanted such a leader. Could we consider Ludwig Conradi a German Adventist Führer before his time? He was a strong leader who shepherded the small Adventist flock through some of the most difficult years in German history. And then he was fired by foreigners back in Washington and he left the church. Is that how some German Adventists would have interpreted the Conradi affair? Was Conradi proof that the church needed Führers? I wish I could go back and remind those Adventists of the story of George Ida Butler, that iron-gripped president of the Seventh-day Adventist church. We talked about him what seems like years ago, because it was years ago, and how he believed that the church should be run like a disciplined army. And I would remind those Adventists in Nazi Germany about what Ellen White said about this kind of leadership. Quote, The church of Christ is in constant peril. Satan is seeking to destroy the people of God, and one man's mind, one man's judgment is not sufficient to be trusted. End quote. What's most alarming about Adventist leaders admiring this Führer principle is that they wanted to model their own authority after it. Every leader is the king of their own kingdom. The Adventist church needs good Führers, that Adventist had said. And it makes you wonder, who is influencing whom here at this point in history? When you step back, of course, you realize how much of a bubble German Adventists lived in. Adventist papers from around the world delighted in taking rhetorical shots at the Nazis. One article out of India smirked that, quote, Germany seems to be a good place to stay away from, end quote. In some ways, the Adventists outside Germany understood what was going on more clearly than those in Germany. They saw that Hitler meant to lead Germany to war, even while German Adventists insisted that Hitler only wanted peace that he was misunderstood, that the foreign press was deliberately slandering Germany with this, dare I say, fake news. But there were other ways in which those outside of Germany just had no clue what they were talking about. They didn't live through the incompetent Weimar Republic. For example, an Avenus in Australia wrote, quote, in Germany, Hitlerism is destroying every democratic right of the people. Even the members of the cabinet must obey Hitler's orders or face arrest, end quote. They talked about how Hitler forced through the Reichstag, quote, an enabling act which secured him dictatorial powers for four years, end quote. It's not that this is technically untrue. 
It's that it misses the point from the perspective of most Germans at the time. The outsider looked at Hitler's consolidation of power as a terrifying thing. But most Germans looked at it as a necessary thing in order for Germany to have strong leadership, in order to escape the Weimar hell. They thought, of course Hitler needs more power. That was the problem with the Weimar Republic. No one had enough power and enough authority to lead us out of the mess to solve our problems. The Republic was a creation by hostile foreign powers, the same ones who are now criticizing Germany for leaving the Republic behind. Do you see how easy it was to conclude that the whole world was conspiring to keep a boot on Germany's neck? They don't want us to be strong. They don't want us to have dignity. They don't want us to get back up on our feet. What the world saw as a dangerous dictator in the making, the Germans saw as Germany peacefully reclaiming her dignity. An Adventist in and out of Germany reflected the views of the nations they lived in. Our old friend Arthur Maxwell, editor of Present Truth in the UK, visited Germany in the months following Hitler assuming emergency powers. My first impression, he wrote, was one of tragedy. Nazi swastikas were flying at half-mast from every farmhouse and village that Maxwell passed when he crossed the German border. Maxwell wondered for a moment if Hitler had died and the nation was mourning. Finally summoning the courage to ask a Nazi officer, Maxwell got his reply in broken English. Quote, Don't you know today is the anniversary of the Treaty of Versailles? End quote. Maxwell's response was telling. Quote, I felt crushed. What could I say? After a most awkward silence, I retired to my compartment. End quote. Arriving in Berlin, Maxwell followed a crowd to a Nazi protest of the Versailles Treaty. Our reporter tells us, quote, Never have I seen a crowd of such dimensions. Hour after hour, processions headed by bands and bearing aloft the Nazi colors streamed in from all quarters of Berlin. There must have been at least half a million persons present and probably many more. End quote. The protesters carried banners that said, Down with Versailles! And we want freedom. And Germany is not an... Well, they added the N-word, let's just say. Maxwell noticed at another rally, this time with 5,000 in attendance, that the crowd maintained perfect order. No one was smoking. No one was trashing the place. Maxwell thought that this was both impressive and terrifying and his guide explained it when he whispered in Maxwell's ear, it is the new order. Maxwell then visited the museum. In it, he saw beautiful maps that looked like a risk game board. There were mountains of artillery and soldiers that stood in France, in Poland, in Czechoslovakia, guns all pointed at an unarmed Germany. Another map was printed on a postcard and handed out freely in Berlin during the rally. This one showed the range of enemy aircraft from their bases in France, in Czechoslovakia, in Poland. And nearly every square inch of Germany could be bombed. There was nowhere these planes could not reach. Of course, there were no tanks, soldiers, or planes in Germany on any of these maps. Germany was helpless. 
And that struck Maxwell because outside of Germany, all of the talk was about how Germany was rearming. But Maxwell realized the Germans see their rearming as necessary in order to protect themselves because they are surrounded by enemies. Interviewing a bank manager, Maxwell admitted that he was almost convinced by the Nazi narrative. And in the end of his visit, he threw up his hands and said, like Pilate, what is truth? This atmosphere of confusion about the nature of this new Germany was the point. Maxwell attended a Nazi meeting about the unification of the churches. To an Avenist, that certainly sounded ominous, but no one there could offer any details about what unification of the churches meant. A Nazi leader gave a speech on the importance of the Bible that, in Maxwell's opinion, could have been preached by any evangelical minister. Quote, the churches have not recognized God's great hour, end quote, is what the Nazi said. Maxwell approved, but then the Nazi also said that Hitler was a savior sent from God who had arrived one minute before midnight. Maxwell disapproved. What did it all mean? Maxwell went to the Nazi party offices and asked point blank what exactly Hitler's goals were. And he was told Hitler wants to fight corruption, help the poor, unify Germany, things like that. And that sounded fine to Maxwell. But he also knew that Jews were being harassed and, and violence was a standard part of Nazi rhetoric. It sounds like a good program, Maxwell concluded, if he carries it through without setting the world ablaze. Hitler's genius was in mastering and maintaining polarization. A random Adventist in America might have answered with perfect conviction that Hitler was a monster and he would plunge the world into war. And a random Adventist in Germany would have told you with just as much conviction that Hitler wanted peace and it was the Western nations who were conspiring to keep Germany down. You could easily find evidence to support either belief. Arthur Maxwell spent time on the ground in Germany interviewing party officials and regular Germans on the street, and even he came away more confused about what was going on in Germany. Hitler came across as blunt, decisive, and definite. He had convictions. No one doubted that he had convictions. He didn't say things like, I don't know, or I hope it works out. No, he had definite, well-defined beliefs, but... When you sat down to think about those beliefs, what exactly were they? I mean, he called the Jews a disease, but also insisted that he would never wanted to hurt any Jews. He had this way of being extremely clear, but also extremely vague at the same time, uttering contradictions that you just didn't know what to do with. You didn't know how to reconcile them. This atmosphere of confusion in Germany was intentional. Hitler had written in Mein Kampf that the political fever should leave religion alone. The Nazis' 25-point program seemed to agree, declaring that, quote, we demand freedom of religion for all religious denominations so long as they do not endanger its existence or oppose the moral sense of the Germanic race, end quote. Okay, but what does that mean? The party declared that they would not favor any one denomination, surely good news to Adventists, except that the party also said they advocate something they called positive Christianity. What is positive Christianity? 
You can imagine that the party was being intentionally contradictory here. It leaves religious groups in anxiety over where exactly they stand with the state. Is our church a part of this positive Christianity? How would you know? You can imagine the confusion. It allows the party to decide exactly what they mean by their law on a case-by-case basis. A system of vaguely worded laws, by the way, is not the rule of law. And when the Nazis first took power, the Adventist church was banned without warning. Two weeks later, the ban was lifted. No explanation given. We see this again in 1935 when the Nazis announced the closure of every Adventist church in Prussia just out of the blue. No reason given. The denomination scrambles. They brought in William Spicer over to sort it out. He goes to Berlin. Couldn't get a straight answer from anyone. Adventists start expecting the worst, that all their property is going to be confiscated. Their, their offices are going to get raided by the Gestapo. But then, a few days later, the order to close all of the churches in Prussia just disappeared like it never happened. Gave church leaders a heart attack. <laughs> and then it's just over. Just like that. No reason given. And this politics of chaos kept the church on her toes at all times, always anxious, always wanting some stability, and always willing to, to, to give, to, to meet halfway, to meet three-quarters of the way in order to get it, because it's just like you never, you couldn't plan for tomorrow. You couldn't plan for, for a week from now. You never knew which side of the law you stood on. And while Adventists did maintain the core of their doctrine, they accommodated the Nazis at the edges. Some might say more than at the edges. Well, that Sabbath thing seems a bit Jewish. So the church changed the name of Sabbath school to Bible school. And they called Sabbath rest day. Sounds a little bit better, doesn't it? Adventist literature evangelists didn't just sell steps to Christ at German doors. They also sold the Nazi magazine put out by the race political office. Those aren't big compromises, right? Not all Adventists liked where their church was going under the Nazis. The Adventist church in Germany was actually shrinking in the 1930s. No doubt many Adventists saw the blatant Nazi paganism and hateful rhetoric for what it was, weren't fooled by it. And they defended the Sabbath, fought to be exempted from any work on Sabbath, typical Adventist stuff. Many Adventists initially refused to salute the swastika flag or to greet people with the Hail Hitler, with the Hitler salute. But church leadership slammed the door on any individual members who wanted to criticize the regime. This was a new reality, and if one church member made a joke about Hitler's hair to the wrong person, and you never knew who the wrong person was, did you? Then the whole church could face persecution. So when those Adventists said they didn't feel comfortable saluting the swastika, the president of the East German Conference told them to suck it up and play ball. And when an Adventist magazine printed an article saying that Christians had a duty to resist the state if the state started meddling in church affairs, the church promptly shut that magazine down permanently. That was the last issue it ever released. One union president cautioned the church, don't do or say anything that could be damaging to us. And then he also said, don't look for the time of martyrdom. 
We know that there are some Adventists who resisted and hated the Nazis. But between the pressure from the Nazis and their own church leadership, they mostly kept their mouths shut. Many Adventists liked Hitler. Yes, they liked that Hitler embodied the Führer Prinzip, which they thought would make Germany stronger, would restore dignity. But they had other reasons to like where Germany was going under his leadership. First, they were patriots. They were sick of being a weak country. And upon Hitler's election, one Adventist editor wrote, quote, We have just experienced it. To be saved from hopeless sinking in the last minute when God sent our land a Führer who took strong command of the controls of the ship of state. End quote. There are dozens of statements like this, looking at Hitler as uh, a kind of political messiah of their nation. Avenus Presses defended Hitler as he annexed Czechoslovakia, saying that Germany only wanted peace and it could only get peace by reclaiming the territory that was once rightfully hers. You can tell that Avenus had bought into the Nazi worldview when they wrote things like, quote, Nations bristling with arms surround our fatherland and not with the most peace-loving designs. Even though Germany is disarmed, they do not want to believe its peaceful intentions. I call on every Avenus who loves his people to support the peaceful intentions of the Reich government on 12 November, end quote. That was a call to vote for the Nazis for a referendum that would give Hitler more power, and that letter was to be read in all the churches. Second, Adventists shared some values with Hitler. One Adventist wrote, quote, As an anti-alcoholic, non-smoker, and a vegetarian, he is closer to our own view of health reform than anybody else, end quote. Come on, everyone else in the old world smoked and drank, we finally have a leader who is exerting a good influence here. Shouldn't we champion that person? Shouldn't we support them? The shared values were also ideological. Adventists the world over have been fighting the ideological war against modernism and communism and atheism and all those isms. Adventists and Nazis saw those things as common enemies. Of course, Adventists outside of Germany were also against communism and modernism and atheism, but they tended to add Nazism to that list as well. This young Nazi movement, with its emphasis on traditional family values and organic food, and its abhorrence of cultural corruption, well, that sounds pretty good. That sounds like what we wish we had in America. They also saw Hitler as a Christian, or if not, then at least an ally of Christianity, a Cyrus of Persia, even into 1940, Adventists were celebrating, quote, the unshakable faith of Adolf Hitler, end quote. Conference president said that, quote, the Christian rejoices that his country is in the hands of a man who has received his office from the hands of God, end quote. When Hitler assumed emergency powers, an Adventist youth magazine crooned that, quote, a fresh, enlivening, and renewing Reformation spirit is blowing through our German lands. The word of God and Christianity shall be restored to a place of honor, end quote. And of course, some of those values shared concerned eugenics and the need to purify the German race of polluted genes. And we all know what they meant by that. Finally, 
Adventists liked Hitler because of their obsession with the Roman Catholic Church. Hitler saw the Catholic Church not on theological grounds, but as a political rival. And so he was an ally to Adventists, right? This is how Adventists look at it. We have a common enemy here. And if you know about Adventists or have been listening to this podcast for long enough, you know that Adventists believe the Roman Catholic Church is the sea beast of Revelation 13. Adventists expected Catholics to push a Sunday law that will compel the whole world to shun the Sabbath and persecute Adventists around the world. German Adventists were so fixated on Catholic plots and conspiracies, I don't know what else to call them, that they couldn't see the Nazis for what they were, beastly in every conceivable way. It would be hilarious if it wasn't so tragic. Adventists preached about a political power that would compel the world to worship a false god and that if you didn't worship the way they wanted you to worship, then this power would tell you that you cannot buy or sell and may even kill you. Adventists preached this and then thanked God the Nazis were in power to prevent the Catholics from becoming this beast. As Jewish shops were being burned and families kidnapped, the Adventist Religious Liberty magazine, Church and State, kept publishing articles against Sunday laws. In other magazines, often half of the articles were against Catholics. This ended up being a huge embarrassment later on because three years after the war, 1948, the United States Army had to ask the Adventist Church to kick former Nazis out of its church leadership, which every other church had long since done with pleasure. Major Thompson, the American military government in Germany, told the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists that their church was, quote, one of the very few in Berlin which has not cleaned house politically to date. Most denominations finished this task long enough ago to have forgotten about it, end quote. Major Thompson then, oh, twisting the knife, then told the Adventists to be more like the Catholics who didn't have to kick many Nazis out of their churches because Nazis weren't welcome to begin with. Ouch. Back in 1929, Adventists criticized the waning Weimar Republic for tolerating Catholic politicians. They wrote, quote, The priest, today party chairman, tomorrow chancellor of Germany. This is the outcome of 10 years of German Republic. Germany may become a province of the Papal States. End quote. An Adventist magazine even reprinted this gem from a non-Adventist writer. Quote, for the sad situation of Germany since November 1918, we can thank the Jews and Jesuits. The Jesuits are no less dangerous enemies than the Jews, end quote. Is it possible, I'm just asking this question, is it possible that decades of believing Jesuit conspiracies helped Adventists embrace Jewish conspiracies being peddled by the Nazis? I mean, if you already believe Jesuits are pulling the strings behind every world event, is it so hard to believe that the Jews might be there alongside them doing the same? Curiously, Adventists outside of Germany opposed the Nazis for the same reason. Conservative B.G. Wilkinson, we've come across him before, wrote that, quote, fascism is Catholicism, absolutely Catholic, end quote. That, of course, I think would have been news to the Vatican. And so Nazi flags and salutes began to be part of the Sabbath worship experience for Adventists in Germany. Church leaders told pastors to promote loyalty to the government 
at every church they visited, and the General Conference decided not to print any more books that were critical of the Nazis. The Adventist church was determined to survive. But survive at what cost? Hey, it's me again. If this episode didn't quench your desire for more Adventist history content, then go subscribe to Adventist History Extra. It's a private podcast that I do for those who support the Adventist History Project. You can get access to Adventist History Extra on the website, which is AdventistHistoryProject.org, or by becoming a patron at Patreon.com. Now, there's more variety at Adventist History Extra, in case you were wondering. I do some interviews. Sometimes I do bonus episodes. You know, I, we had a good episode here in the Adventist History Podcast, and I want to talk some more about it. Other times, I go behind the scenes at conferences I attend, like the Women in Seventh-day Adventist History Conference. What's more, just as a second announcement for you, Michael Campbell and I are leading a bus tour in October 2024. So if you want to go drive around New England a bit, see the, see the sights and have some fun, well, you can sign up for our bus tour newsletter, once again, at AdventistHistoryProject.org. And we're going to keep you up to date there about what you need to know to go and sign up for that and all of that. So just to be very, 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 very clear, we don't have a sign up for the bus tour itself, but it's a sign up for the newsletter so you can stay informed about the bus tour. So I don't have to make announcements every single time and interrupt these episodes and all of that. That's where those announcements are going to be. So if you're interested, head on over to the website. You can sign up for the bus tour newsletter over there. Okay, I think that about does it. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>